If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Great to be with you today, everyone. Of course, our sponsor for this show is Rise Nutrition. You can find them at Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Rise with a Z. They will help you with all of your health and nutrition needs. Reach out to Angie Niska at Rise Nutrition. And if you click on the link in the show notes, you will get a free wellness profile just for Jesus Never Ran listeners. Special thanks again to Rise Nutrition and Angie Niska. Great guest on the show this week, Tom Eberly from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, that's where he resides now, and he is the director of the Living School at Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. I uh, grew up in North Dakota, the oldest boy uh, in a family of 16. Grew up on the prairies and a farm in South Central North Dakota. Yeah, I was in nature all the time and didn't really understand what it all meant until, you know, I got come off the farm, went into the city and actually started to see what that was like versus being on the farm. Grew up Catholic, very conservative um, Catholic area, and always pushed back uh, on the faith, thinking some things just don't seem to fit my experience or fit the way I'd like it to, I guess, fit. But still never gave up on the the Catholic faith, because there's a lot of good things about it, but uh, also not necessarily waiting for um, things to happen as well. Was a teacher for many years, for 34 years, was a teacher in Catholic schools, actually, for 34 years, then became the principal and was the principal at the high school for 14 years. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the Jesus Never Ran podcast. It's a huge honor to have you, and I'm excited to hear about your journey from being a high school principal to being the director of the Living School at the Center for Action and Contemplation. Now, many of us know that Father Richard Rohr started the Center for Action and Contemplation, but do you mind sharing with us a little bit more about why he started it and then also what it is that you're doing with the Living School now? You know, when the center was started, it was started basically because he found there were so many people that were, were activists, but they were getting burned out because the energy they were using was the same as the energy that they were fighting, if you will. They were resisting so much so they could burn out. So he wanted to find a way to be able to have people learn some form of contemplative practice so that they could be grounded when they went out and would do the good work of action in the world. This latest iteration here that we call the Living School is that we are looking, you know, it's a two-year program where we bring in a group of people that we feel are ready to experience a transformational process that will commit to some form of contemplative practice 
And then they haven't already been multipliers in their context, will become multipliers in their context. Now, a multiplier is somebody who can go back into their community, into their context, and be, in a sense, like leaven in the dough and be able to bring some positive change within the community in a non-egotistical, non-demanding way, if you will. During that two years, people would come to Albuquerque for four different sessions, and then there would be teachings by our teachers, our core teachers now are you know, Father Richard Rohr, Jim Finley, Cynthia Bourgeau, Brian McLaren, and Barbara Holmes. So then they have particular things along the lines of what we call Christian contemplative tradition and perennial tradition and alternative orthodoxy. Alternative orthodoxy is this idea that it's not considered to be the mainline way of looking and doing things. Part of the education process is people understand the history of how the church started, that it became embedded with power instead of looking for people on the margins. Anyway, during this time, they come here for three different symposia, one intensive, and the intensive, we, we have groups of around 200 people come in at a time, but during the intensive, we break those groups into about 50 people, and they come for a one-week intense training with Richard and Brian, and then they'll go back to their setting, and then we have some online coursework they do. And then we're putting this in throughout the program, something we call the Rhythm of Life, which includes, you know, contemplative practice, contemplative study, contemplative community, and then solidarity with those on the margins. What we're asking then is at the end is to integrate some of the things you're learning now into your context, especially integrate into this idea of being in solidarity with those on the margins, or even maybe a cause, for example, environmental climate change or food production. So the idea then is that this is not a school for those that are thinking of checking something off their box. It's not for navel-gazing, and it's not for spiritual consumerism. We are asking you to do something with this as you start to experience this whole thing. It's very, very much experiential process. Now, you were, as you already mentioned, a high school principal. So I guess I can make the connection between that and being the director of the living school. But do you mind unfolding how this process started? How did you get engaged in this type of spirituality? Where did you come into contact with Richard Rohr for the first time? Where did this all start, Tom? I had a really good friend, still have a really good friend, Robert Paul Becker, who came to me and asked, Hey, Tom, I want you to go to a, a rites of passage, MROP in Minnesota, with the idea that maybe we could develop some way of trying to bring initiation rites to some of our boys at the high school. I read the description, you know, I saw uh, Father Richard Rohr was going to be there, and I didn't know who he was at the time, you know, and no, I want you to trust this. I want you to go, go to this and see, just see what happens, see where the Spirit leads. And then at the same time, he gave me some books from Father Richard. Adam's Return, The Five Reasons for Male Initiation, and other books. thought this was interesting. Anyway, I went to a Rites of Passage in 2005, and that was an experience probably that I needed just at the right time. There was just a lot of things happening at the same time. Things were kind of falling apart. And so I went to this MROP, and Father Richard was there, Richard Rowe was there, and I met him, and I thought, man, this is just an average guy. He's not, you know, like this person up on his pedestal or whatever. But uh, I really resonated with him and his message, and plus the whole experience. You know, I got introduced to contemplative prayer, centering prayer. And we had 85 men on this 
retreat out in the wilderness. Basically, what happened was every morning, if you wanted to, you could come and go to centering prayer, you know, this contemplative prayer. And I couldn't believe it. 85 guys were quiet for 20 minutes at a time. Anyway, the whole experience basically just turned everything upside down, if you will. And maybe I shouldn't say upside down, maybe right side up. It was exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. So then when I came back, I I just didn't know what to do. What do I do with all this? That's when my journey started in earnest. So then we decided, my wife and I decided we were going to start attending conferences in Albuquerque, New Mexico, especially they were always usually in January and we can get away from 50 below windshield down to 50 above. I'm thinking, let's go. And so, you know, we started to come down here. We started to do more and more study about Richard's work. More and more spirituality came into play. One of the things that happened when we finished the, the rites of passage is we were asked to be on what we called JOI, Journey of Illumination, J-O-I. And that process asked us to continue some form of regular daily practice, contemplative practice, do contemplative reading and study, form support groups where, you know, sort of men's group or a group of people that got together that were like-minded, that would talk about like-minded things. Um, They asked you then also to do some, what they called releasing part of that. The thing I still do, and this is since 2005, is I will go out on wanderings at least once a year. And then the last thing you have to do is always give back to your community. You have to serve. It's not about you. You just two seconds ago mentioned this idea of going on wanderings. And to a person like myself who loves nature, loves wandering around in the woods, I definitely want to hear more about that. So when you say that you go out on wanderings, what are you talking about? And maybe share with us a little bit about what that experience is like for you. So when you go out on these wanderings, what you're supposed to do is fast. So I fasted before I went out and you're supposed to stay out in the wilderness for a minimum of 24 hours or longer. All you bring is water with you. No electronic device, nothing to read, nothing to write with, just, just yourself and nature. And you stay out a minimum of 24 hours. So I go out into this space in this place. And it was the middle of summer. Started off the day. You're supposed to be bored. You know, you're supposed to be bored. You're not supposed to try to entertain yourself. In our culture, we're constantly trying to distract ourselves, constantly trying to entertain ourselves, right? So you're, you're purposely bored. So I decide I'm going to go to the top of the hill. There was a friend who had a farmstead that was, was abandoned, and it was between the Hart River and the Sweetbriar Creek. Beautiful area. Went up to the top of the hill, and I decided, so I'm just going to sit up here, and I'm going to say the rosary, which I hadn't said for 30, 40 years, and then I'm going to go into some meditation. I'm going to do you know, some centering prayer for however long it takes, because I have no watch with me either. So I'm sitting there and I'm doing this. And after I'm finished, I happen to just look up in the sky. And I look up in the sky and circling above me is a golden eagle. And behind the golden eagle is a hawk. And the hawk is kind of picking on the golden eagle's tail. And behind the hawk is a blackbird picking on the hawk's tail. These birds circle and they circle and they get closer and closer. And I just happened to lay back in the prairie. I had a bright yellow t-shirt on and i thought well maybe they're coming closer because they see my yellow t-shirt the kid you not that golden eagle and those three birds got within 50 feet of me and they circled me and i was getting a little nervous because i was worried that this 
eagle is going to come down. I could see its eyes and see its talons gracefully going in a circle, but the other birds kept picking on each other as well. And he just then slowly went off into the distance. When you're in nature, if you are finally quiet enough, things will start to reveal themselves. Animals, things in nature will start to reveal themselves. After a little bit, I got the sense that, hey, you need to go down to the creek. There's something down there you need to see. So I said, okay. I go down there, and I start walking along the creek, and here's this giant snapping turtle. I would say that thing was 120 pounds. And it's maybe four feet of water. The water's clear, and it's going upstream. The water's barely running, but it's going upstream just as peaceful as it can be. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm thinking, I'm just becoming more and more peaceful just watching this thing, right? And so I follow it upstream for about a half hour because I had nothing else to do like all day, right? And then the thing goes into the bottom of the mud and sinks into the mud and it's gone. I'm up there that night and my the friend of mine says, don't camp down by the river because there's a mountain lion in the area and you don't know what'll happen. And so I camped up on top, but I heard the mountain lion screaming all night long. And so I'm sitting in my tent and of course, I have a knife with me and that's it. You know, I'm thinking, well, I hope that thing doesn't come up here and I'm just nervous as hell. And I'm hungry and, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it was a long night. Didn't sleep much, you know, so much was going on in my mind about everything. So in the morning, you know, um, I, I knew I had come in at sunrise and I was going to go out at sunrise. I packed up and I started walking out. And as I'm walking out, a herd of about 30, 40 deer come running right by me. I think what happened was the mountain lion chased them up out of the riverbed and they came up right beside me and they didn't even care I was there and I just, they ran right between them. But anyway, on the way home, I, I, I just was like overtaken by so much, you know, like, wow, what is going on here? I was just happy to have a, a home, enough to eat, a beautiful family. I'm crying. My wife said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I'm just so thankful for everything and had these experiences out here. And then I, I grab the morning paper and I open up the paper. It says on the front page of the paper, National Guard has Lakota medicine man bless two Blackhawk helicopters. One is called Eagle and one is called Turtle. And I thought, wow, this is not a coincidence. The Eagle represents the great spirit and Turtle represents peace and hope. What an amazing and beautiful story and just the ability to be engaged in nature on that intimate of a level must have been just nothing short of spectacular. Now, switching gears a bit, your road to the living school has some roots in a personal tragedy that you experienced, correct? Right before I came down here, um, I lost a nephew. Uh, 25 years old to suicide. He um, suffered from depression and so on, and he took his life right, right before Thanksgiving Day, actually, it was. And I had a brother that was his son, and my brother, uh, you know, had suffered from some depression and, you know, bipolar and so on all his life. He was so devastated, and he, he said to me, basically, that, don't be surprised if, if I fall off a tree or if I get crushed by a piece of machinery because I just don't care anymore. And eight months later, he got crushed by a piece of machinery and died.
after the funeral of my nephew, the day after, I was just beside myself, you know, because I was the oldest in my family and my dad died young. He was only 64. And he told me, he said, Tommy, make sure you take care of the kids and you take care of the grandkids. Well, my family, there's 50 some grandkids, you know, nieces and nephews. And so I kind of took it too much literally, maybe to the point where it was not healthy. But I felt so bad. What didn't I do? And so on. So I was feeling so bad and so down. And I get a call out of the blue from this native boy that I knew. And he says to me, uh, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. He said, my my nephew killed himself and I, I, I made a decision I'm not going to stay at high school anymore. I don't want to stay here anymore because it's just not working out. He said, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. Do you want to do a sweat? And then I had an experience with the sweat lodge with him that I beyond understanding as far as I'm concerned, but that kind of led me, I think, down to coming down here to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So many synchronicities, and they still seem to occur. Sometimes they, something happens, and I say, where did that come from? And then I realized, well, finally, I think after all these years, I'm starting to put the, the ego in service of something greater than the ego in service for myself. I, I really believe that these things are already there. These synchronicities are there and they're ready to happen. And if we're open enough, uh, they'll show themselves. One of the great misconceptions about faith, spirituality, Christianity is that it somehow protects you from suffering or hardships. But I know Father Richard Rohr is well known for saying that you can find God the most in great love and in great suffering. And so it's a real misnomer, a real misconception that somehow our belief in God and our spiritual disciplines or experiences will keep us in any way, shape, or form, really, from suffering in this world. It's very interesting. You know, life is life. Things happen. Just because you connect with nature and you connect with something bigger than yourself doesn't mean that you're not going to have suffering. Because all of us are going to have, we're, you know, we're going to experience sickness ourselves or somebody we know. All of us are going to experience death. All of us are going to experience those things that happen, you know, whether it's divorce or loss of work or loss of you know, whatever. There's so many things that can happen. And so many people think that it shouldn't happen to them. And I, I can say that too. There's a lot of times like, why is this happening? And I'm thinking then, because this is life, you know? And so what kind of attitude am I going to bring? Are we going to bring into what's happening? I, I'm beginning to realize more and more that sometimes a curse is a blessing and a blessing is a curse. And that we use our dualistic way of looking at things to say, well, that's bad and that's good. And sometimes if we hold it long enough and we sit with it long enough, we realize those categories don't mean anything anymore, good or bad, curse or blessing. You, you realize in the end that it's all blessing and that it's all sacred. Sometimes, you know, you have to ask yourself, can I find the sacred in the ordinary? Can I find the sacred in the mundane? Can I find the sacred going out in nature and so on, away from maybe some of the artificial stuff? But now what if I can't get away from the artificial stuff? Can I find sacredness there as well? I think the answer is yes. We're products of our environment. We're products of our upbringing. We're products of our culture. 
And I know one of the biggest things I've learned is that nature can be the first teacher, the first Bible, if you will. Like Richard always says, the Franciscans say nature is the first Bible. Nature can be a teacher, but so can every single situation, no matter how difficult it can be. You ask like now, for example, with COVID, people say, well, why did this happen? The question I have is, what does that even mean? Maybe, maybe there needed to be a new normal. Maybe this is a way for us to be able to reset. Maybe in our isolation, we can finally maybe take some time to be quiet, quiet enough to take the electronic devices, the TV, put them off or shut them off for a certain period of time during the day and just finding some type of contemplative practice. It doesn't always just have to be sitting. You know, it can be taking a walk, walking meditation, taking a walk in nature. It can be some form of exercise. It can be yoga. It can be so many different things, you know. And then in our school, we have Barbara Holmes, uh, and she is talking about crisis contemplation. Sometimes contemplation takes place in the midst of crisis. It's been so interesting, and I hold things with so much curiosity, uh, especially more and more lately. I know for, for myself and so many in the living school that I, I tell people, if you can be committed to some form of regular, daily, contemplative practice, you will start to have more and more synchronicities, more and more experiences of what I call the sacred that have always been there, but we just never knew. Hold things with curiosity. If people go into nature and you allow yourself to eventually be become part of it, part of nature, then animals, plants, everything, the whole environment will start to look and feel different. Yes, uh, absolutely. Our mutual friend, Scott Jenkins from the Celtic Way, he always talks about this idea of connecting our spirituality or relationship with God to nature. And as he talks about it, he, he says it's, it's like we're getting back to the roots of early Christianity. I know Richard always says this, and so do the other, a lot of the other teachers in school. They're saying that Christianity is in its kindergarten stage right now. And early Christianity was, you know, very much nature-based. Look at Peter being a fisherman, you know. Jesus is always using parables and how he used so many farming metaphors. More and more, I'm beginning to realize that this whole idea of our ancestors, we're not here in isolation, you know. There are many, many people that came before us that actually brought us physically and emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to this place in time, right? All of your ancestors that brought you to this point, for good or ill, whatever it may be, and none of us were ever perfect, right? In some sense, time is maybe not linear. Maybe time is more of a circular or a spiral in that it, it repeats itself. If I can do my work and we can do our work on ourselves, we then can heal the ancestors that came before us and also heal into the future. Special thanks to Tom Eberly for being a part of this episode of the Jesus Never Ran podcast. For more information on Tom, the Living School, and the Center for Action and Contemplation, go to www.cac.org. Next. 
Next week, we start our first roundtable unedited conversation about how our faith should instruct the way we respond to something that's currently going on in our culture, so you're not going to want to miss that. That's going to be a ton of fun. Please do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast. Give us a five-star rating and write a review. And until next time, keep walking.